Masechet Chagiga, Daf Yod Chet. We are going to be talking on the first Amud about laws of Chol Amo'ed. And then on the second Daf, we are getting into laws of Tumah and Tahara that we will continue with for the rest of the Masechet. All right, we were so, speaking about Shavuot. Uh, Shavuot is only one day, but that's not enough time to bring all the Korbanot. And so for Shavuot, we have uh, six days of Tashlumin on which one can bring any Korbanot that you didn't get a chance to bring on the first day on Yom Tov, uh, called Yom Tiboach, uh, especially the second day would be a big, a big celebration. Um, we, uh, lo- we saw two derivations for this, uh, uh, this halacha, that there are more days added to Shavuot in order to do uh, Tashlumin. And right now we're going to see a third and last. Shavuot is also called the festival of harvest, right? All the different names of the holidays that we learned in first grade are coming in handy now. And so what is the day on which you can also harvest, that you can go and cut grain? On, on Yom Tov, and generally, you cannot cut grain on Yom Tov. You can cook and you can prepare and, you know, go from start of, with, with kneading dough, but you can't go back and uh, cut it. So what, well, how could you call it Chag HaKasir? You know, it has to be Shavuot. What day of Shavuot? Emat. Yom Tov, Yom Tov, If it's talking about the actual day of Shavuot, Yom Tov, are we allowed to cut? Uh, grain on Yom Tov is not allowed. Not not any not any not, not any day. Not even Shavuot. Rather, this is referring to an added day, not Shavuot itself, but a day after. Uh, so that day after, that's what's referring to that it's Chag. It's not Yom Tov, but it has some aspect of Shavuot. Um, because you can use it for a Tashlumin, even though it's a day on which you are allowed to do work. And that's why it's called Hakatsir. That's the Shakish's proof. Amar Biochanan Biochanan is going to challenge it. Elamata Hagasif, Ezu Hagshish Bo Asifa, Haveomer Ze Hagasukot. Biochanan, I could do the same thing you just hear with Hagasir with Sukot, which is called Hagasif, in which you're gathering all the grain that dried out all summer and now you're putting it into the granary. So, what's a day, what's a holiday on which you're allowed to gather? Because that's also a melacha. So, okay, this is Sukkot. Emat, what day of Sukkot? Can't be Yom Tov of Sukkot the first day, because you can't do melacha. So maybe it's talking about the the rest of the days of Sukkot. But is is that permitted on Cholomod itself? Cholomod uh, also is prohibited in melacha, not as stringently as Yom Tov. You're allowed to do certain things. Uh, but nevertheless, you can't just go and gather your whole field. Uh, it's not a regular day of chol. Rather, B'yohanan says the Peshat of the Pasuk. And this is the Peshat of the Pasuk. It means the holiday that we celebrate at the time of the gathering of the grain. Right? That is exactly why it's called that. This is the time of the gathering. We're so thankful and feel gratitude that you know we got our paycheck for the year. And so... Um, this is the holiday surrounding the gathering. So too regarding Shavuot, we call it Kasir because it's the holiday at the time of the harvest. Not that you're actually harvesting on the holiday itself. And so and with that, Rabbi Yochanan uh, 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 removes the Eresh Lakish's proof uh, quite convincingly. I think it's a good example of 
uh, you're seeing that the, the Amoraim did know what the Peshat was. And when they make a Midrash, right, they're reading, uh, they know that they're reading into it. All right. So Rabbi Yochanan um, disparages this proof. Nevertheless, we're going to learn something interesting from this very discussion. Uh, both agree that Cholomoed itself one may not do melacha, right? That was the essence of Rabbi Yochanan's proof, right? That it can't be talking about cholamod because you can't do asifa and cholamod either. Um, so even though they disagree regarding is this a good source or not, everyone agrees that cholamod you cannot do melacha. And now we want to know the source. We're going to bring a few sources for this really fundamental idea that cholamod is a melacha. Really, this suga that we're going to about to read belongs as an introduction to Masechet Besa, which was a uh, um, uh, uh, about uh, uh, rather Moed Katan, right? Which was all about the laws of Chola Moed. And uh, we did make reference to some of the ideas um, here. But this is the main source for prohibition of Melacha on Chola Moed. Rabbi has a very nice, straightforward proof. It says the Chagamasot Tishmor. Anytime you see the word Tishmor, it means be careful, meaning not don't do Melacha, right? Refrain from doing Melacha. And then it says Shivat Yamim. So there you go. Don't do Melacha for all seven days of Chagamasot. Now, of course, it's the first day is going to be Yom Tov. Like, really don't do Melacha. The other days are going to be more lenient that if it's a financial loss, uh, the reasons and is permitted. Nevertheless, all seven days we have the word tishmod applies to them. Okay, that's proof number one. However, Rabbi Yonatan says, I don't think that's what the pasuk means, and I don't need your derivation. That doesn't really necessarily mean that tishmod, maybe just the first day. I have a different one, Kavachomer, a logical proof. The first and seventh days of Pesach do not have holiness before them. That's the first day. The day before the first day is a regular day. And the day after the seventh day is a regular whole day. And yet those days you cannot do Melacha. Then all the more so the middle days of Cholomoed which are surrounded, they're sandwiched by a Yom Tov before and a Yom Tov after. So they should be at least as holy and stringent as the first and seventh day. So the first and seventh day that aren't fully surrounded are Asur B'Melacha. Then the middle days that are fully surrounded for sure are Asurin B'Melacha. Okay, I mean, according to this, if you take this Chava Chomed, literally, it mean, would mean that you really can't do Melacha at all on uh, like the level of Yom Tov. Um, I'm sure that's not what he means, but he means that still we learn some prohibition of Belacha. Good. Now we are going to challenge it. Hold on. We just had, we've just finished Shabbat, right? And uh, Shabbat's going to come up again next week. So you can say the same thing that all the days from one Shabbat to the other, since they're sandwiched by a day of Melacha. Um, by days of by days of no melacha, so all six days of the week should also be prohibited in melacha, and then you'd never be able to do melacha your whole life. <laughs> that would be that would be uh, ad absurdum. Uh, so that's a good challenge. But then we say no. 
So we uphold the Kalvachomer and say, no, the six days of creation are not, don't have a Kurban Musaf. They're not special in any way. Whereas Cholomoed, you have Kurban Musaf. So it's clearly they are days of holiday. So therefore they already have potential to have no Melacha. And so the Kalvachomer works there. And it makes sense, even though it doesn't, uh, no need to bring in this Sheshimah uh, Bereshita are not comparable. All right, so now we're good. The Kav stands. We're going to challenge it again. Rosh Chodesh Yochich, Sheesh Bokorban Musaf, Umotar Basiyad Melacha. Rosh Chodesh has Korban Musaf. And yet, there's no, you can do Melacha on, 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 uh, on Rosh Chodesh. And this proves that Melacha and Musaf have nothing to do with each other. Right? And it makes no difference that Cholomoed has Musaf and the six days of the week don't have Musaf. Here's a case of Musaf and no melacha. So now this uh, Kavachomer is challenged. Well, we answer, Cholomoed is called a holy convocation, the special days. Rosh Chodesh is not called that. So leave out Rosh Chodesh and don't bring me any proof from there. Since the holidays are called Mikra Kodesh, now, Cholomoed are never directly called Mikra Kodesh, but it does say at the end, right, referring to all of the holidays in the paragraph. And so since Cholomoed is included and called Mikra Kodesh, they have potential to be holidays and no melacha. In that case, the Kavachomer works, whereas there's no need uh, to compare it to the six days of creation or Rosh Chodesh. Those are not called Mikra Kodesh. And so the Kavachomer stands... All right, so, so far we had two proofs that um, one may not do melacha on Cholomoed, and there's another one. Tanya idach, kol melechet avoda lo ta'asu. This is talking about um, uh, um, so this is saying that the first day is Mikra Kodesh, don't do any melacha, and the pasuk immediately after says, Shivat Yamim. So since it says all the first day you cannot do melachalot asu and immediately followed by shivat yamim, so we learn that all seven days are included in that prohibition. All right. says, I agree with your halacha, but I have another way of uh, deriving it. When it says these days are Mikra'e Kodesh, or holy, meaning no melacha. What is that referring to, that, that pasuk, that uh, introduces the, the, all the list of, um, of the holidays? At the first day of the holiday, it already says Shabbaton, so it can't do melacha. If it's about the seventh day of Pesach, that's also called Shabbaton. So I don't need, I don't need the Pasuk of Elemoadeh to refer to that. So therefore, Mikrai Kodesh refers to Cholamoed and shows that that is a Sur Bemelacha. So there you go. That's Biakiva, a nice simple way. That's four. Uh, all right, fifth way of learning no Melacha of Cholamoed. Tanya Idach. So this is a learning from a similar halacha, but this one in Devarim about Pesach that says six days to uh, eat matzot and on the on the seventh day. 
this U Bayom is connecting, right? Is connecting all seven days. So uh, to what came before, just like just like the seventh day, you cannot do melacha. So to the six days, you cannot do melacha because it's included in it. Six days U Bayom So the six days of the same law as the seventh. Now you might say, see, look at the hair of Hashivi, the seventh day. That makes it sound like the seventh day is special and different from the rest. So if you would think that just like on the seventh day, you can't do melacha, so too the other six days you cannot do melacha at all, even for Davar Haved, for a loss. I said it. Only the seventh has an absolute prohibition of melacha, and the six days, the other six days, do not have an absolute prohibition. This is an extremely important line to remember. You see here that the katuv scripture handed it over to the chachamim, meaning authorized. Um, to, to authorize the sages of the next of the of future generations. It's up to the sages to tell you which day is prohibited, which day is permitted. Well, they do that when they set the calendar and decide what day is Chodesh. They actually decide what day is the holiday. And on Cholamayed, what exactly is prohibited and what exactly is, is permitted? The Torah leaves it open-ended. So that just gives a general guideline and says, that the seventh day, that's totally prohibited. The six six days are in between. They are connected, and so somewhat prohibited in melacha, but not totally prohibited in melacha. You want to know the exact definition? Go ask your local rabbi. And so there you go. We learned this from this um, uh, baraita that uh, this uh, there is permission given to future generations to explain the pesukim. All right, wonderful idea. We get to the end of the Mishnah, which mentioned that uh, the days of the Yom, Yom, Yom Tiboach, the day that of, of slaughtering all, all of the uh, animals, uh, was a happy day. And, uh, and in general, if it fell out during the middle of the week, uh, the Kohen Gadol would come in his, in his fine clothing, like he would on Yom Tov, and celebrate. And people would not give eulogies and would not fast because this is like a Yom Tov, right? The day coming after Shavuot, if it's a regular weekday. But if it's on Sunday, meaning if Shavuot is on Saturday and the Yom Tivawach is on Sunday, in that case, uh, the people would, uh, the halacha is that we limit the celebration. Kwen Gadol, we say, you, you wear regular clothes. Don't be involved. And you can eulogize and fast because of the Sadducees and, and Bothusians, the sectarians who said that Shavuot is on Sunday. We don't want them to make a mistake and think, oh, see, they're celebrating on Sunday, even though Vav Sivan is actually on Saturday. We don't want them to use that as ammunition. And so we lower the level of celebration on that day. Okay, we have a question from a story. Alexa Belod. Uh, Alexa once died in Lod, uh, so Google had a big celebration when Alexa died. Um, no, we don't know who this is. Some uh, some person uh, who died in the city of Lod. Okay, Alexa, uh, man's name, short for Alexander. And everybody came. He was an important person. Everybody came to eulogize him. And Abit Tarfon said, no, you can't do this because... It's Shavuot. 
That's the story. Now, what exactly happened? Yom Tov was it actually the day of Yom Tov of Shavuot? Yom Tov Would anybody come? Everybody knows that you're not going to have a big public public funeral on Yom Tov. You're not going to eulogize on Yom Tov, so nobody would come then. It must have been the day of slaughtering, and everybody came. And so that's the question. The Mishnah said that you may not come on Yom Tibach because we want to exclude the heretics. And uh, so we say, uh, so we say, uh, eulogy, you should eulogize. And here the Bitarfan sent everybody home and said, oh, it's uh, uh, um, a said, no, you have to go home. You're not allowed to. So what's going on here? And the answer is actually quite simple. When we're talking about Yom Tov, that happens right after, right after Shabbat on Sunday. That's where the Mishnah said that you have to have, you have to, you're allowed to have eulogies and make it a Saturday in order to exclude the heretics. But this, in this story, it was Yom Tov that was Yom Tov Bashabbat. Um, sorry, the other way around, right? The, when there's Yom Tov, that's after Shabbat, then, uh, sorry, Bashabbat, that occurs. Okay, well, well it depends how you, if you interpret Shabbat as Shabbat or during the week. Okay, if it's uh, Yom Tov, that's on Shabbat itself, and then Sunday is going to be the Yom Tiboach, that is the problem. Um, but this story happened when Yom Tov was not on Shabbat. Yom Tov was, meaning Shavuot was on Sunday, Yom Tiboach was on Monday, so that's why no eulogizing. That's what, the, that's what it was talking about um, when the Bitarfon said, go home. But the Mishnah was talking about when Shavuot is on Shabbat, then, no, then um, we allow eulogizing on Sunday to counteract the Sadducees. All right, and that is the end of that Mishnah. And now we begin the section on Tuman Tahara. Okay, why is there a long section about Tuman Tahara laws here in Masechet Chagiga? What does that have to do with anything? A simple answer is that before you come, before you make Aliyah Laregel, before you bring your Kaban Chagiga, you have to be Tahar. So everybody makes sure to purify themselves before the holiday so that they can come to the Bet HaMikdash and participate in all of the sacrifices. So since we need to know that, we need to know the details and there's different levels of Tumah that one we would need to know for participating, especially in a in a korban, uh, it'd be a high, very high level of tahara that you need to be careful of. All right, so we begin with notlin layadayim. So already these first two words are very important. We know the we know that we do, we do natilat yadayim before eating bread. We're going to see the, the derivation for that today. Now um, natilat yadayim from on the is only the rabbanan um, from a biblical level. Either your whole body is tahor or your whole body is tameh, right? If your hands touch something tameh uh, that, is, that can transfer impurity, then your whole body becomes tameh, not only your hands. So the, the, uh, the idea of hand impurity is only an added level, banan that the rabbis at first applied to kohanim because they wanted kohanim to be extra careful. So therefore, you know, be careful what your hands touch and uh, wash, if you're not sure, wash your hands if your kohanim are going to eat terumah, uh, they have to wash their hands. Later on, it became expanded to even non-kohanim. 
so that number one, we'll, we'll all be careful. And also because we want to elevate, even non-Kohanim should act like Kohanim. We want to elevate ourselves, you know, even though there's no better Mikdash, we don't have Teruma. Uh, nevertheless, we should all act even within our homes, right? We make our dining room table like a, like a Mizbeach when we say Divre Torah on it. There's lots of things that we do to elevate our own regular lives to be like Mikdash, like Kohanim. And so that's why uh, we uh, all uh, wash hands. Okay. But anyway, the Mishnah is going to say, when do you have to wash hands? We're going to see here five levels of types of food that are increasing levels of holiness. And the more holy, the more susceptible to Tum'ah. That's the general rule. So Chulin is the first level, the lowest level. And this refers to regular food that we eat every day that are just uh, uh, secular food, uh, nothing special about them. Even though it's regular food, one has to wash before eating it. We'll see why. Ma'asir is referring here to Ma'asir Sheni, that every person, every farmer, takes on his own to Jerusalem and eats in Jerusalem, which means not only Kohanim, everyone's eating this mas uh, or Levim, everyone's eating Maaseh Sheni. If you want to eat Maaseh Sheni, you have to wash your hands first until Tilat Yadayim. Vela Tiruma. Tiruma now is a higher level of holiness. Only Kohanim can eat it, and they have to be Tehorim. And so therefore, before they eat it, for sure, they have to do the Tilat Yadayim. That's assuming that they're already tahor, right? If they actually are tameh, they have to go to a mikveh. But assuming they're tahor in a regular way, they have to also do the tilatadaim right before. Vela kodesh matbilin. So the first three categories, you could do just in tilatadaim. For kodesh, if you're going to eat a korban, either a kohen eating korban or Yisrael eating the shalamim, the things that they are allowed to eat, one has to not just wash his hands with a cup, but actually immerse his, one's hands in a mikveh. By the way, that's permitted. That's a higher. That's a higher level of uh, tahara. If you know, if you're um, uh, at the beach and eating, want to eat a sandwich, and you don't have a cup and a and a and a, a faucet, no problem. You can go dip your hands in the ocean, and that's uh, much even even better than washing your hands with a cup. Okay, for kodesh, in order to eat um, sacrificial meat one must dip his hands in a mikveh. And v'lachatat, lachatat is referring to mechatat, the water of para aduma, the water mixed with the ashes. That is the highest level kedusha and the most susceptible to tum'ah. And in that case, if a person's hands, or even if only his hands became tameh, even if the person's body is totally tahor, according to all biblical laws, nevertheless, if his hands uh, get hand impurity, according to the Rabbanan, the Rabbanan, he has to not only wash his hands, but go to the mikveh and wash his uh, whole body. It's as if he, as his whole body was became tameh. So there you go. Here's the five levels of food impurity. Now, Mishnah continues with more things that have to do with this uh, levels of food impurity. Now, regarding tevila, you go to the mikveh. 
Let's say I went to the mikveh because I want to eat regular food. Now, you don't actually have to go to the mikveh to eat regular food, right? We don't do that. You can eat regular food uh, by, uh, while being tameh. Or, uh, or if you're already tahor, you know, there's no, no need to go. Um, nevertheless, there were people that wanted to be like kohanim and as if, as if everything they're eating is tirumah. We know, for, for example, that the Dead Sea sect went to the mikveh before every meal. Uh, so they, they did that and other people too. So if you go to the mikveh for chulin, uh, then you're good to eat chulin, but asur maaser. But you cannot yet eat maaser with that tevilah because you didn't have in mind that you're going to eat maaser. Tavale maaser. If I did, if I dunked and uh, having in mind, I'm going to eat maaser sheni. Then you can eat the maaser sheni, but asur tiruma. But let's say you're a kohen, you cannot go and eat tiruma based on that tevilah because you didn't have it in mind. And then maybe you're not going to be so careful, uh, as careful as you would be for tirumah, right? Although uh, everyone's being careful, there's different levels of being careful um, uh, you know, regarding, regarding uh, different levels of, uh, of tumah, you know, like, uh, you know, when there's uh, uh, diseases around, depending on, you know, if it's like a really bad disease going around, you're going to be super, super careful uh, not to for contagious and wear a mask and not see anybody. But if it's like a lower level disease, you'll wear a mask, but not so much and you'll shake hands, right? So just you know, there's different levels of care um, in regarding contagion. And so if you went for to the mikveh for ma'aseh sheni, kodesh. If you went to the mikveh so that you be tahor enough to eat tirumah, that's great, but you can still not, you can still not eat kodesh, a sacrificial meat, with that tevilah. You have to go to the mikveh again. If you dipped for eating sacrificial meat, that's good for sacrificial meat, but you cannot go and touch the water of para aduma. Other way around is fine. If I had in mind, I'm going to go to mikveh for uh, sacrificial meat. And then uh, someone comes and brings some teruma. Then it's fine because it's a lower level. So if I was careful enough for Kodesh, for sure that that care that's careful enough for the uh, level uh, lower level. Let's say I just uh, dunked without having anything in mind, right? I just I decided to go for a swim in the ocean and dunk uh, for fun, and then I come out and say, "Oh, look, there's some tiruma here." And that's no good for zero, right? Even though technically you dip, so yes, technically you're tahor because you did go to mikveh but you didn't have it in mind, and therefore it's no good. Okay, and now another list. Okay, now we're going to be introduced to some different categories of people. Ama'aretz is a person of the land, a regular farmer that they know general halacha, but they're not so careful with the details. So the clothing of an ama'aretz is tame midras. Midras is a, level, a high level of tum'ah when a zav or zava or nida sit on something, even if they don't touch it, like if it's under, under layers, it, it, it acquires tum'ah. So the regular clothing of an ama'aretz, we have to assume is tame midras, if you are a pedushi, pedushi is the same word as Pharisees, and this has a, more than one definition. Uh, Pharisees, we know, were a political party during the time of the Hashmonaim, uh, but over time, it seems to have less to do with politics and more to do with a certain interpretation of halacha. Literally, the word pedushin means those who separate themselves, and they were very scrup- scrupulous to separate from impurity. They would go above and beyond uh, the letter of the law, for example, even for Chulin, they would wash their hands or go to the mikveh. 
And so the Pedushin, since they're more careful to, with the Amehadits, so they consider the regular clothing of an Amaritz, even if they don't know specifically that this, you know, Azaf sat on this uh, piece, of, uh, this shirt, they consider everything Amaritz has to be Tameh. And they, although they're careful, they're, uh, they're considered the same regarding Ochle Terumah. So someone who eats Terumah, a Kohen, who's keeping himself on a high level of of Tahara, because he has to eat Terumah, when he sees the clothing of a Parush, he says, oh, that's Tameh, that's Tameh Midras, because the Parushin, although they're more careful than Ma'aris, they're not as careful as the Kohanim eating Terumah, and so on. Big Dek, Ochle Terumah, Midras Kodesh, the regular clothing of someone who eats Terumah, you have to consider Tameh for someone who's going to eat uh, sacrificial meat, Big Dek, Kodesh, Midras Chatat, and someone who's going to uh, handle the para aduma water, he considers the clothing of someone who only eats sacrificial meat to be tameh because he is not as careful as the highest level. And we have the Mishnah with two examples of people. Yosef ben Yo'ezer. Was one of the most pious of the Kohanim. And even him, his clothing was considered tameh for Kodesh, for someone who wants to eat sacrificial food. In other words, he was very careful regarding Terumah, because he always eating Terumah, but if, he was, if you were eating Kodesh, you would have to stay away from his, even his clothing. Yochanan ben Gud Geda, haya ochel atarat ha-Kodesh, kol yama v'aitam itpachto midras l'chatat. Yochanan ben Gud Geda was even more careful, and everything he ate, he ate at the level of, as if it were sacrificial meat. Even if it wasn't, he would go and dip and wash and everything like sacrificial meat. So he's always has the level of being a sacrificial meat eating person. But even for him, his clothing would be considered tameh for someone who is handling the meh chatat, the para aduma waters. So even these great people, right, you show that this, uh, there's this hierarchy of tum'ah laws. And this probably just gives us a little bit of a sense of uh, the classifications, like the class system of of how careful people were in all these different contexts. All right, now the Gemara is going to go back to the beginning and ask, Why do you have to wash your hands to eat chulin and ma'asir? You see, uh, a word of introdu- introduction. If someone's hands become tameh, it's only the banan. Now, what level of tum'ah will the rabbis give it? Give the, give a person's hands? We answer, sheni tum'ah. Right, there's different levels. There's avi avota tum'ah, the corpse, and ava tum'ah, rishon, sheni. Right, food, regular food, cholin, can become sheni tum'ah. But that's it. Because sheni is a low level, regular food that touches some other food will not transfer tum'ah to a third level. The second level is the end for chulin. And so too for hand impurity. Now, tirumah um, is more susceptible. So a sheni, food that sheni, if it touches tirumah, makes the tirumah tameh. And uh, if tirumah touches kodesh meat, kodesh meat can even go down to a rivi'i, right? Because it's so uh, contagious, it's so susceptible to tumah uh, for if it's kodesh. Okay, so now hand impurity, the rabbis consider the same as sheni. Therefore, hand impurity can make tirumah and kodesh tameh, because tirumah and kodeshim are susceptible to third level uh, impurity. But chulin and maaseh sheni are not, they're only susceptible to Sheni letumah. They can only be sheni. If one's hands are sheni, then touching cholin or maaseh sheni aren't going to make them any more tameh. 
So why do you have to wash your hands for Cholin and Maaser? Okay, that's the theory behind the following question, but we're actually asking from a text, which is the Mishnah that encodes what I just said. What do you mean he, now this is a Mishnah in Bikurim. It says, that you give to the Kohen, and Bikurim is also the first root that you give to the Kohen, they have the same law. And their laws are, if uh, either Kohen eats them, or non-Kohen eats them, on purpose, it's liable to death. Chomesh, and they have, if they do it by mistake, they have to pay an extra 20%. Asur lezarim, a non-Kohen is not allowed to eat them. Ven and actually belong monetarily to the Kohen. So if the Kohen, for example, wants to do Kiddushin, marry a woman, with this, he said, he could say, I read Mikudesh Li Be, you know, with this Tiruma, because it's, it's personal property, even though it's also holy. And if it gets mixed one in a hundred, then it's Batel. For most food, uh, it's one in two, right? One uh, 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 non kosher hot dog falls into two kosher hot dogs, you can eat all three of them. But Tiruma uh, and Bikurim, you, they're not diluted until they're one in a hundred. 101, 1 in 101. Here's the key that we're going to ask that Tiruman Bikurim require washing hands before you eat them. And if you're actually, if your body is Tameh, you have to go to the mikveh and wait till it gets nighttime in order to eat Tiruman. These laws apply only to Tiruman Bikurim. And these are not true regarding Maaseh Shani, and for sure not true for Cholin. So according to the Mishnah Bikurim, you do not have to wash your hands for Cholin and Maaser. And our Mishnah Chagiga said, you do have to wash your hands for Cholin and Maaser. That's the question. We have a contradiction. Kasha Maaser Maaser, Kasha Cholin Cholin. We have two contradictions, one regarding Maaser, one regarding Cholin. Well, let's try to answer at least half of it. We can explain the contradiction between Maaser and Chagiga says you have to wash your hands. In Bikurim it says you don't have to wash your hands because maybe they're actually different authors of these two Mishnayot, even though Mishnayot don't give uh, authorship. But uh, we know that there were sometimes different authorships behind different Mishnayot. What would they say? Ditanan. Now yet another Mishnah Masechet Para. Kol ataon biat ma'im divrei sofrim metameta kodesh. Anything that requires uh, being immersed in water, midrabanan. For example, hands. Right, hands can become tameh midrabanan and have to be immersed in water. All anything like that also causes tuma to kodesh. So impure hands will cause Tumah to Kodesh. And also makes Tirumah Pasul. Use a different language here because when it makes Kodesh Tameh, hands are second degree, it'll make Kodesh third degree. That Kodesh sacrificial food itself can touch other sacrificial food and make it fourth degree. So that's why that's called Metameh. Regarding Tirumah, we use the word Posel because hands are second degree. That can cause Tirumah to be third degree, but Tirumah cannot impart any more impurity to other teruma uh, after third degree. That's why it's called pasul. Okay. But uh, impure hands are okay for chulin and according to the bimeir. So this is there. Uh, this is okay. So you see that the bimeir will be the author of the mishnah in bikurim. Um, uh, okay, Chachamim say no. Only Chachamim uh, say regarding Maaser, um, uh, also becomes Tameh. Um, so uh, therefore, right, the rabbis prohibit 
אוסרים, חכמים אוסרים במעשה, they prohibit hand impurity even for מעשה שני. So מעשה שני is in between category, חכמים are treating מעשה שני like תרומה that also it is susceptible to תומאה and you have to wash your hands for מעשה שני and so חכמים may be the, would be the authors of our משנה in חגיגה that says you have to wash for מעשה שני, we may be the author of the משנה in ביקורים um, that says you don't have to wash. Good, so we can resolve the ma'aser sheni, ela chulin, achulin kashia. But what about chulin? Everyone agrees that chulin, you don't have to wash your hands. So where did Amishnah get this idea from? And we answer, la kashia, kan ba'achila, kan benigi'ah. Our Mishnah in Chagiga is talking about eating. When you eat chulin, then you have to wash your hands. Whereas the Mishnah Bikurim is talking about just touching it. When you touch cholin, you do not have to wash your hands. Like we do today, right? If you touch bread, you don't have to wash your hands, only if you eat the bread, right? So it's, it's all the Rabbanan, it's all as a, a way of uh, be, a, adding an extra guard uh, for Kohanimin Tidumah, to elevate ourselves. So you don't have to do the technicality of Tumah actually transfers by, by touching. Uh, we're just going to do it when you're eating because that's when you're sitting down to a meal. Um, or any eating, actually, according to this. Okay, so this would answer it. However, it's not a final answer. That uh, interpretation that we had of Mishnah Para, here we have a limitation on that machloket that they only argue, Rabbanan only argue about Rabbi Meir regarding eating ma'asir. They say if you eat ma'asir, then you have to wash your hands. But if you only touch ma'asir, and regarding chulin, no matter what, even eating chulin, they don't disagree. Meaning they say eating chulin is totally permitted. So right now we see that Everyone agrees that eating chulin, you do not have to wash your hands. And therefore, we cannot use this answer because no one say, thinks that eating chulin, you would have to wash your hands. Um, so we can't use that answer. Rather, the final answer, both Mishnayot are talking about eating. When one is eating bread, then, oh, you're already sitting down to a meal. In that case, we're going to impose the stringency um, as mentioned in our Mishnah in Chagiga, that you have to wash your hands. But in Mishnah Bikurim, when it excludes, uh, excludes Chulin, that's talking about eating fruit. When you're just eating fruit, it's just a snack. We're not going to bother people to have to go and wash their hands. Nachman actually says the opposite. If you people, just regular people, wash their hands, not for Tiruma or anything, but uh, because they want to show how, how holy they are, that they wash their hands even for, for, even for fruit, that person will be is considered haughty of spirit. You're going too much. What, you, you, you'll be more holier than the rabbis tell you that you need to be. Uh, therefore, that's not necessary and not even permitted. And that's how we can reconcile the two Mishnayot. Um, if uh, someone is eating chulin, just regular, just regular food, eating fruit, there's a separate halakha altogether that if the fruit is wet, then you wash your, then, then you wash your hands. But that's, we're not talking about that. Just eating fruit to wash your hands? No, it's not, it should not be done. Only eating bread, even if it's chulin, that's why we wash our hands. And so you see, this is the source of the halakha, even until today. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.